0: This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Undercover policemen pushed protesters aside while Zundo, wearing a yellow hard hat and bulletproof vest, was quickly escorted into the courthouse. Charges under a little-known criminal code, section 177, were laid against Zundo by Auschwitz survivor and founder of the Canadian Holocaust Remembrance Association, Sabina Citron. I'm innocent, as always. <laughs> no, actually, this is I consider this just one more step in this struggle to have the Germans rehabilitated. I'm a German. I don't think that the Germans killed six million Jews. I think the Germans did some nasty things, you know, and uh, that can be said for everybody. Okay, that is the voice of Ernst Zundel. And it was a big deal at the time. He was ultimately convicted in 1985 of spreading false news, Uh, a charge that is no longer in the criminal code, by the way, because uh, Zundel's case went all the way to the Supreme Court. I believe it was 1992, 1993, uh, he was acquitted and they struck down that law. And I think certainly the way authorities in Canada went after him did help to give him the notoriety that he enjoyed. Perhaps one of Canada's most well-known and notorious neo-Nazis and Holocaust deniers. Although technically, I suppose he's not really ours. Tried to become a Canadian citizen, uh, never did. And in 2005, he was deported to Germany, where he was later convicted of incitement of racial hatred, sentenced to five years in prison. Uh, we learned that Ernst Zundel died over the weekend at his home in Germany at the age of seventy-eight. So we look at how famous he became. Did we accomplish anything by prosecuting him, by deporting him? And why did he become such a well-known figure? You you sense in that clip there, the. Um, Gregarious nature of Ernst Zundel. Always smiling, always chatty, always wearing a hard hat, as was noted in the story. Not sure what, what that was all about, but um, he, was, uh, he was unique, that's for sure. Uh, Colby Kosh has a really interesting piece up at NationalPost.com uh, about Ernst Zundel and his rise to notoriety. Colby, thanks for making some time for us here today. Appreciate it. I'm
1: glad to be with you, Rob. Uh,
0: th- w- I mean, we talk about his trial in the mid-80s. Uh, he'd been in Canada for quite some time by that point, hadn't he?
1: Yes, he was. Um, he was a war baby. He was born in the Black Forest of Germany uh, in 1943, I believe it was, and he was born in the same house he died in. The word from Germany is that uh, after being deported to Germany and serving some time there for um, charges related to hate propaganda, uh, you know, they have very special they have special anti Nazi laws in Germany. So Zindel's Holocaust denial, his activities over the years in mailing literature back to Germany, and the fact that he was a German citizen, uh, meant that he was arrested almost immediately after getting off the plane once we sent him home. And he did a spell of a few years in prison and got out and uh, lived the rest of his life in that same little house he was born in. Um, And, you know, in the meantime, he was sort of, he was a... He was a figure here in Canada and, and lived here, and uh, aside from the Holocaust denial activities and the uh, literature that he was distributing, you know, he was mostly a law-abiding person, respectable enough to run for the liberal leadership in 68.
0: Yeah, how so many uh, people remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: And he had this sort of double life as a... Um, <clears throat> he was one of the early figures of a sort that uh, Americans will remember when the Godfather movies came out, or all these... Uh, Sort of Italian, uh, these groups being formed to prevent defamation of the Italian people yeah, right. by suggesting that the you know the mafia was a thing, and Zundel had a similar role here for Germans and won his first following as somebody who would uh, go on talk radio shows and you know complain about uh, complain about what he regarded as stereotypes of Germans as a uh, li- of uh, of libels against uh, Germans. Uh, but meanwhile, he was already developing this sort of underground history of anti-Semitic and Holocaust denial propaganda that eventually ran him into in trouble.
0: Right, and, and when you hear him in, the, in that news clip that we played, I mean, he comes across as, as charming. He has, uh, you know, enough of a German accent that that, um, that, that maybe gives him some, some additional charm at some level. And he talks about the rehabilitation of, of Germans, which on the surface, uh, as you say, I mean, it, it it sounds reasonable, certainly seemed reasonable to a lot of people at the time.
1: Yes and uh you know he was uh, when he, once he was found to have these more grandiose theories of history and Jewish conspiracy and uh the invention what he regarded as the invention of the holocaust um you know obviously the the, the point of it all became more obvious uh, there's this uh it's almost in a sense it looks to someone who's not german or of german ancestry it looks like a bad conscience you can see him, even in the clip that you played, trying to sort of downplay German war crimes, crimes perpetrated under the cover of war, and trying to sort of put the Germans on the same level as the Allies, mm-hmm. who, of course, uh, yeah, bomb German cities and were you know, responsible, for, <laughs> responsible for the deaths of German civilians in various other ways. Uh, so there's this uh, craving, this n- nationalistic craving to uh, level the playing field and to put uh, Germany, the loser, in two of the 20th century's great wars on this even playing field morally. And, uh, you know, it, it led him down a road to extreme sort of weirdo, bizarre conspiracy theories and, you know, ideas about uh, how evidence at Auschwitz uh, was concocted or you know, how, how the killings could not possibly have happened, uh, despite the abundance of the documentary record that we have on the Holocaust. So
0: did that serve as almost a gateway to him, for him, rather, and did that also serve as, as a gateway of sorts to, to his followers?
1: Well, what eventually happened, and what I talk about in the column, is that he sort of uh, won over David Irving, who was uh, sort of uh, who was an amateur historian, an author of best-selling books, and who did sort of have a reputation... Uh, for quite a long time, as a- an amateur uh, document hunter, he was regarded by professional historians as this sort of eager beaver, who kind of took <laughs> kind of took Hitler's side on a couple of issues, or w- was interested in a a more, uh, uh, a more a less culpable view of Hitler as a leader. And so he was this interesting sort of side figure, a, someone someone who was outside the. Universities, but who wrote these remarkable books and was very good at uh, finding um, caches of documents that no other historian had looked at. Irving kind of fell in with Zundel when he came to Canada. Um, he was doing a lecture tour, and Zundel showed up at the airport to greet him because Zundel was a big fan of uh, Irving's books about Hitler. And Irving was horrified. He didn't want anything to do with this nasty little man in the hard hat. And he went on his lecture tour and got nowhere, and he noticed that, you know, he discovered that Zundel had this big following and had been writing his own things. So there's a process of somehow seduction or Irving coming coming under his spell and realizing that you will get an audience if you have more extreme views. And so from then on, this is when Irving himself starts to become a Holocaust minimizer, uh, you know, sort of running with deniers and giving them aid and comfort and changing his own books to uh, reflect uh, uh, absurd sort of doubts about the holocaust right. which which ends with you know Irving David you know if you're asked to name a holocaust denier David Irving is the one person you would name and so there's this deep relationship that Zundel is responsible for and this is this all happened after we the after our courts and our police had tried to Uh, suppressed Zundel and started chasing him around, canceling his telephone line, pulling his mailing privileges, you know, all this stuff that led to these great legal battles and gave Zundel uh, this sort of odd permanent place in the history of our law, which he has, which he still enjoys, Um, all that had sort of already, had been underway already. And I think Irving was probably more impressed with Zundel because of this, uh, what Zundel would call persecution. Um, maybe that's a fair term for it, though the, the sort of legal pursuit of Ernst Zundel gave him these bona fides, these, this uh, this uh, aura of uh, male magnetism and independence.
0: I think internationally, certainly in, Br- certainly in Britain, uh, the name David Irving uh, people know. But do you think in Canada, even, Ernst Zundel is, is even more well-known as a name than David yeah, Irving?
1: I, well, he's known here for that uh, legal saga, mm-hmm. uh, which, as you say, ends with the uh, Supreme Court's Still, very crucial, very important uh, decision in uh, Queen versus uh, Queen versus Zundel, um, and of course, um, there's all kinds of other. You know, the, all the case law is full of Ernst Zundel. Later on, the immigration starts to appear in the immigration case law because he's trying to fight his deportation. And in fact, you know, if if they'd had to deport him two years uh, later than they did it would have been found very difficult because the Supreme Court eventually uh, struck down the security certificate process that was sort of used to hustle him out of the country and get him in the hands of the Germans.
0: By the way, what was the deal with the hard hat? As you know, you point out in your column, he, and, and they said in the news clip, there he is wearing a hard hat. What was with that?
1: I'm not sure exactly. He he seems to have had a, quite a varied career, but he was a commercial artist, as I understand it. Uh, he actually did some covers for McLean's magazine, supposedly. Uh, although I'm not sure you could find out which ones. I'm not sure they'd let you know which ones he drew if you went back to the library. But, uh, you know, he did commercial art, which is not a hard hat profession. Uh, His followers wore hard hats, and I think it was just an instinctive symbol of, you know, sort of uh, masculinity and the hard-working German. I mean, anybody who's had a a German neighbor or a German friend knows that they tend to be very orderly, hard-working and uh, I think Zendel was somehow instinctively trying to exploit that. I'm not really sure of the facts, but I know he was always seen wearing the hard hat. The Canadian image of him that endures now is uh, this guy in a hard hat with a German accent.
0: Right. Well, and I mean, to some people it comes across as, you know, a guy with kooky views, but otherwise harmless. Obviously, though, the process in deporting him in 2005 certainly made him out to be something much more sinister. So, what are we to make of, of that? Was he at the forefront uh, of the neo Nazi movement in, in Canada?
1: Well, he was deported on the grounds that he was associating with more uh, violent right wing figures or figures that, who had threatened to use violence. That evidence is mostly secret, and in fact, uh, was not available to Zundel or his uh, legal counsel at the time. That's another one of the things the Supreme Court has since changed. They now have a procedure in place where a, a designated lawyer can uh, view the evidence against you, evidence against you and uh, summarize it for you if the government is trying to deport you. So it's a little harder to deport people like Ernst Zundel now. Um, <clears throat> the truth of, uh, you know, what to what degree that's true uh, it's impossible to say until someone discloses the evidence that comes out you know, on the historical record. Uh, someday, there's no doubt, certainly, that he was with kind of a he was in a kind of distasteful far right world that exists in Canada, um, and certainly a more we're seeing it as a more militant, organized uh, far right uh, world. Um, much of the violence. Uh, seems to be circumstantial the far right groups don 't attract people who live ordinary sort of bourgeois lifestyles as a rule. Um, the potential for organized violence is clearly there, but who knows what kind of communications thesis might have viewed or made a record of or whatever it 's a little bit unknowable uh, you know and people are not i, I don 't think anybody was mourning when he left the country so to no. Speak. <laughs>
0: But as you say, I mean, it was after him and there were some other cases that security certificates yes. became a, a huge flashpoint. And it probably would, as you alluded to, be a lot harder today to deport Zundel.
1: It would be harder today to deport him. And maybe just because it's been so long since he was such a focus in the media. You know, the 70s and 80s were really his heyday as a propagandist and a provocateur. uh, uh Maybe the memory uh, of his activities and his anti-Semitism would have been faint enough that people would come out in favor of him. Uh, it's uh, an interesting alternate history to think about, but uh, as it happened, they got rid of him soon enough that it held up. They did it sort of just in time from a legal standpoint, shortly before the Supreme Court made its chirkawi ruling against the, cert- the security certificate.
0: As we look back then uh, on his life and certainly his time in Canada, I mean, you know, he died clearly an unrepentant man, uh, certainly never changed his views. We, we certainly gave him inadvertently a platform, notoriety. Uh, I mean, do, do we share blame for, for his, his rise to prominence?
1: You know, it's an interesting question both ways, because going back over the record, what struck me is that we did undertake these efforts to suppress him, deny the means of publishing and communication... And what you notice is that it did fail, that he managed to become an international figure and to distribute his uh, books and his crazy theories worldwide. Uh, At the same time, it goes to show how scary it can be, how little it takes for one person to sort of seize control of the debate and create a a, a flourishing little industry of Holocaust denial and neo-Nazi-friendly views about history. You know, you see the you see the danger of allowing someone to be perceived as persecuted you see the danger of giving him that glamorousness but you also see how fertile one mind can be you can almost sort of see the fear that the people who are pursuing them though you almost see that those fears were in a way justified you give them maybe more respect than some free speech advocates would have given them at the time so it almost, to me it almost cuts both ways you see what a What a dreadful problem he was, and how much harm that one man can do. But you also see, well, you know, are we helping ourselves by uh, uh, making him this uh, sort of anti-heroic figure, this uh, one man contending against uh, law and society? So, yeah, it's uh, it's given me a lot to think about as I go back and sort of look over. The history of Ernst Zundel. Yeah,
0: fascinating stuff. Well, again, NationalPost.com. Uh, Colby, appreciate you making some time for us here. Thanks for this.
1: Thanks very much, Rob.
0: All right, take care. Colby Kosh, uh, columnist for the National Post, NationalPost.com. Uh, you can find his piece up there. Really fascinating look at this uh, figure, Ertz Zundel. Uh, the headline, Revisionism in a Hard Hat, How Ernst Zundel Charmed the Gullible. And the, the point about uh, David Irving is really quite fascinating uh, And how we basically drew David Irving into that Holocaust denial world. And, of course, David Irving was later at the center of that famous court case where he had uh, sued uh, Professor Deborah Lipsat for defamation. And this was all uh, in a movie just recently. The movie was called Denial, about this story. And so then it was uh, up to—the onus was on, on Professor Lipstadt to go into court and back up what she had said. So it was about proving that she hadn't defamed David Irving, but it was basically—it became a case about proving the Holocaust— So that was really quite fascinating, and and I think it's because of that that David Irving became so internationally known as maybe the more prominent Holocaust denier. But certainly it was Ernst Zundel who dragged him down that rabbit hole, and I think even still here in Canada, uh, Ernst Zundel may be the most infamous and notorious Holocaust denier. All right, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. We are back with more right after this.